So this morning we continue our series called The Rescue. We're in chapter 3 of Galatians, and in this chapter there is a verse that is mind-blowing at best. We're going to look at that verse and several others as we continue our study. I can give you a little advance warning that uh, during this message I'm going to refer to uh, the power of this section of Scripture in a friend's life. And so um, you can listen for that. It's amazing what God can do with His Word. And so here we are in chapter 3. We'll start back in verse 1 where we were last week and go through 9. Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, here it is, listen to this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. There once was a man from Philadelphia who used to travel this country preaching the gospel. He had a church in Philadelphia, but during the summer and sometimes even into the fall, he would go all the way out to California and any place in between, and he'd preach the gospel. But every summer... He'd go to Ocean City, and there he would preach. And every year, the church there would set him up in one of these massive suites in a large hotel overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. And so one day, he's sitting there in a chair looking out at the ocean, and he picks up a pen, and he decides to write a young relative who lives in Iowa, who's never been to the ocean. And so he writes, and he wants to describe what he sees. And he says this, We have a beautiful suite here, right next to the water. We're on the 15th floor, and I'd like to tell you what I see. In front of me are four giant windows. They're 12 and a half feet high and 8 feet across. And in between each one of those windows is a 2-inch strip of aluminum. And I have taken shavings of that metal and I've sent them off to the lab so that it can be analyzed and you will receive in the mail soon an analysis of that metallurgical properties. Not only that, I've taken a scraping of the windows. And I've sent that out for testing as well. I've also included in this letter an addendum that describes the history of glassmaking in the United States. I thought you might enjoy that. 
Also, I've checked with hotel management to find out what product they use to clean those windows free of all salt spray. And I am amazed that they use a product produced by Dow Chemical Company and a subsidiary, and that company where it's produced is less than 100 miles from you in Ames, Iowa. I hope you've appreciated this description of the ocean. Now, can you imagine his excitement in reading that? Three decades ago, I was at Princeton. And you know what I found? That many of my colleagues were saying, they said, you know, I'm not sure I believe the Bible anymore. They were studying for ministry and they said, I'm not sure I buy this. I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure I believe the Bible anymore. You know why? Because they were spending their time on the window and missing the ocean. You know, the church, the first church I served, there was a woman there who could tell you every name of every king in Israel and Judah's history in order. She could tell you the lifespan of every major patriarch in the history of Israel. She could tell you the middle verse of the middle chapter of the middle book of the Bible, and yet she couldn't tell you anything about what the Bible means or what it really says. I mean, she was great at the micro and atrocious at the macro. Years ago, there's a woman in Hollywood, California named Henrietta Mears, one of the finest Bible teachers of the last century. And she wrote a book entitled, What's the Bible All About? You want the Cliff Note version? I mean, it's like 350 pages. You want the Cliff Note version? You want to know the whole thesis of the book? One word, Jesus. She was able to demonstrate that Jesus is the ocean beyond the window. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in this text today. Now here's a verse I never spent any time studying in seminary. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. Have you read this? You said I just heard it. (laughs) The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Do you understand what that means? What Paul is saying is before there were any written scriptures, the scriptures preached to Abraham. And what was it that the scriptures preached to Abraham? The gospel. What is the gospel here? That you and your heirs shall be used by me to bless the nations. Now remember what blessing means. It means a relationship. It means a face-to-face, whole-faced relationship. No secrets. The full acceptance of God. And so what is the blessing that is being preached to Abraham before the Scriptures are written? In one word, it's Jesus. What the Lord says to Abraham is, I am going to justify the ungodly through the righteousness of another who is Jesus. You will be saved 
And through you all, and through all of your descendants, there is one who will be of your seed, who will redeem my people through his work, not theirs. In John chapter 5, Jesus has just healed a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And John says, immediately a mob of Bible teachers surround Jesus with rocks. They're ready to stone Him. And the reason they're ready to stone Him is twofold. The lesser reason is because He's just healed the guy on the Sabbath. The bigger reason is because He's claiming to be God. You know what Jesus says to them? You search the Scriptures because in them you believe there is eternal life. But I tell you, the Scriptures bear witness to me. You know what Jesus is saying? The Scriptures are the window, and I am the ocean. Somebody has said the only way to hear and understand the Scriptures is through the Gospel, and the only way to understand the Gospel is through the Scriptures. You know why? Because the one who spoke the Scriptures is the one who applies the Scriptures to our lives. Paul knows it. He tells us about it here in this text. So let's dig in and listen. First of all, notice the completeness of the Scripture. Look at verse 5. Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, who's he talking about? So I'm a God. And look what he says about God. For every Christian, He supplies the Holy Spirit to every believer so that when He speaks the truth, every believer has ears to hear the truth. In Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus to test Him and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You know what Jesus says? Have you not read that He created the male and female? And that he has said, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Now he's quoting Genesis 2.24, but you know what's interesting? In Genesis 2.24, it's not God who says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, but it's the writer of Genesis. And there are some who say, see, Jesus was mistaken. He said the one who created male and female is also the one who said that a man shall leave his father and mother. And it's clear that God didn't say that, that the writer did. You know what Paul would say to that? You're a wacko. <laughs> because what the writer says is not what the writer alone is saying, but what God is saying through the writer. Acts chapter 4, Peter's standing before the chief priests and elders in Jerusalem, and he says to them, through the mouth of our father David, the Holy Spirit has said, and then he quotes Psalm 2. You see what Peter is saying? David opened his mouth, but the Holy Spirit was the one who spoke. But notice Paul goes further than Jesus or Peter, what Paul is doing is he's personifying the Scriptures. He's saying they are alive. And before Abraham, the Scriptures were. And the Scriptures could foresee 
that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and He, the Scriptures, spoke to Abraham beforehand. You know what Paul's saying? A bunch of men didn't sit down and just say one day, I think I'm going to write my thoughts. What he's saying is, what happened to them is what happened to me in Arabia. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And the Holy Spirit impressed them what they were on them, what they were to write. Last week I got a, a note from a friend who wrote on paper what he had told me in the hallway back there about noon last Sunday. I asked him to write it down, and he did, and he said I could use it, so here it is. He said, the truth of Galatians 3 was what God used to change my life in my second year of medical school in Philadelphia. One of my favorite Bible teachers, who's now a hand surgeon, who's working in the remotest parts of Asia, was fond of saying just what you said last week. God the Father appoints. God the Son accomplishes what His Father appoints, and then the Holy Spirit applies the accomplishment of the Son of God to our lives. But then He went further. My teacher said, think of the promises of God. All of the promises of God come to us through the accomplishment of Christ, and they are applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit. Where did he get it? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means everything that God promises you in the Scripture has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ in His life, and then the Holy Spirit applies that fulfillment to our lives. Therefore, We can only receive the promises of God in Scripture if we are in Christ and Christ is in us. I can't tell you the number of times I've said to somebody something like this, I'm clinging to the promise of God in the Bible. And when I said it, I wasn't thinking about Jesus. Now I will never refer to the promises of God hoping that they're applied in my life without Jesus because I know that every promise of God is found to be yes in Jesus, accomplished in his life, and as I am in Christ, then God will apply the accomplished promise to me through him. You know why I never thought of Jesus when I thought of the promises? Because I was only looking at the window and not the ocean. Second, notice the correctness of the scriptures. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. You can't look at it, but I'll tell it to you. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. In other words, what Paul is saying is if you hear anything else labeled the gospel and it's at variance with the gospel that I preach to you, let that person be cursed. I have a good friend who preached a few weeks ago and he used this text. And in preaching, he referred to the the, uh, cotton patch paraphrase of this verse. Listen to how it goes. Let's get this straight. Even if an angel fresh out of heaven preaches to you any other message than the one we preach to you, to hell with him. 
And that's a very good translation of what Paul says. This is as strong a Greek as you can find in the New Testament. When Paul says, let him be accursed or to hell with him, what he's saying is, I didn't preach my gospel to you. I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And that's the same gospel God preached to Abraham. When I was in Boston, there was a seminary professor named Dr. Roger Nicole. He was Swiss, but he had a deep German accent. And amazingly, a few, about 20 years ago, when I was in Orlando in seminary, he was there. And I love one of the things he said. He was uh, teaching on uh, the 10th chapter of John. And that's where the Jewish leaders are ready to stone Jesus again for blasphemy. And Jesus says to them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? Now he's quoting Psalm 82. And he says, is it not written in your law, you are God's? Now, a psalm is not a law. It's in the writings. It's poetry. Not only that, this psalm, Psalm 82, wasn't even authored by David, but by Asaph. So Nicole, in his deep German accent, said, Jesus bases his whole claim of deity on a single word in a secondary clause of a thoroughly obscure poet. Why? Because he knows that all of Scripture is God's Word and without, in, in it there is no error. That's the point Paul's making. What Paul is saying is if you hear an angel speak to you another gospel, there is a three out of four chance that it is a lie. It could be a hallucination. It could be a hoax. It could be demonic. But if it's at variance with what the gospel is, it can't be from God. What Paul is saying is the scriptures are 100% right all the time. And then third and finally, notice the comfort of the scriptures. Look at verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you know what that means? That means that your relationship with God is not your doing, it's His. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks 1,800 verses of Scripture. And of those 1,800, 180 are quotes of Scripture. You know what that means? Jesus plagiarizes 10% of what He says. Now, sometimes Jesus, when he quotes Scripture, is making a point. It is written. Other times, he's seeking to comfort people. Is it not written? But you know what Jesus does at the end of his earthly ministry, right before the cross? He uses the Word of God to comfort himself. I mean, even think of the cross. He's hanging there between two criminals... All of his disciples have fled. He's virtually all alone. Everyone is scattered. And what does he say? I thirst. And then a few minutes later, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He's quoting Scripture in both cases. Why? To encourage someone else? No, to encourage him. To make sure somebody else does what's right? No, to make sure he does what's right. Someone has said intimacy with God requires a full interaction with the Scriptures. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus' life. Even at the end, when he has no intimacy with God, he's fully interacting with the Scriptures. What's that tell you? It tells you that the Son of God was completely dependent on his own Father's Word. Hearing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just say... Let's say you're convinced that you've sinned too badly or too greatly or too frequently to ever be forgiven by God. What do the Scriptures say to you? 1 John 3, Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Whenever your heart condemns you, remember God is greater than your heart. It's not your subjective reality that you must rest on. It's the objective reality that He has redeemed you. Let's say you're convinced that God's acceptance of you is based on your own doings. You've got to do all the right things. What's the Scripture say? Romans chapter 4. The promise to, to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world to come didn't come through the law, but came through righteousness through faith. The Scriptures are in the business of comforting us. But you know the greatest comfort of Scripture? It's Jesus. He is the fulfillment of every Scripture. Every Scripture points to Him. And every command of God and every promise of God is fulfilled in Jesus. Let me give you an example. The book of Judges. Remember Moses dies, Joshua takes over, then Joshua dies. And then you come to the book of Judges. And in the second chapter, Joshua dies. And as soon as he's dead, the enemies of Israel begin to attack them. And you know what God does? God listens to the prayer of his people, and he raises up a judge, Deborah. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Deborah and the whole people of Israel rise up and they defeat their enemy. And there's peace in the land. Decades go by. Israel turns its eyes away from God. It turns its ears away from His Word. And what does God do? Sends another enemy. Beats them up. And in the middle of their pain, they cry out to the Lord, Deliver us! And the Lord sends a man named Gideon. And Gideon wants to take about 3,000 men to battle, and God says, no, you're going to take 300. (laughs) And 301 men win. Peace. Prosperity. Decades go by. They turn their hearts away from God. Their ears are clogged to His Word. They do what's right in their own eyes, and God sends an enemy to batter them. And in the midst of their pain, they cry out to God, Lord, deliver us! And God sends one man, his name's Samson. And through one man, the Holy Spirit defeats the Philistines. And there's peace in the land. 
You see the pattern here? God delivers. They turn away from him. God batters them. They cry out. God delivers them. Decades go by. Israel again is turned away from God, doing what's right in their own eyes, listening only to their own voice. God says, an enemy batters them. They cry out, deliver us. You know what God does now? He sends half a man. A little shepherd boy. Do you remember his name? David. With a slingshot. And the Holy Spirit with one stone delivers Israel. Do you see the pattern? From Deborah to David, it's less and less human might and more and more God saying, I'm doing this on my own. The pattern is the same for you and me. The greatest danger in our lives is not trouble, it's prosperity. It's pleasure. And when we experience it, so often we close our eyes to Him, we divert our eyes, we clog our ears, we only have ears for ourselves. And when God sends the enemy, and sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's spirit, always it's spiritual, and we cry out, you know what He does? He doesn't say, I'm going to send you a judge. He says, I'm going to send myself. He comes as a carpenter's son. And he delivers us, not just from some mortal enemy, but from an, from an eternal enemy. And on the cross, Jesus defeats all of our enemies, including the devil, and He gives us every promise because He's fulfilled every promise. And you know something? You can never understand the Gospel until you understand something of Scripture. And you can never understand the Scripture until you understand in some capacity the Gospel. You know why? Because in this world, there are all kinds of windows. But there's only one window through which we can see the ocean who is Jesus. And that's His own Word. Don't you love that verse? Galatians 3.8 Foreseeing that faith through another would save us. God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. And if you know Christ, you've heard exactly the same word that Abraham heard. And that's why we can say today, it's all about Jesus. May you remember that this week. Amen.